0: Scripture reading this morning is from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 4. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Once again, it's a delight to see each of you here this morning. appreciate the presence of every single one of you, whether you're here physically in the building or you're joining us online. I continue to be amazed and appreciative every week when I hear about other people that I know of who've been joining us online for quite some time now, about the last year and a half, and literally from all over the United States, and we're delighted that that you're continuing to join us in worship this morning. I want to begin with something that is germane to what the topic of discussion this morning. Laurie Williams has written, and this was submitted to the Reader's Digest in February of this year. Laurie writes, I had a co-worker who loved McDonald's food. No matter the lunch options at our office, he chose McDonald's every time. One day he brought his young son with him to work, and I spoke to the son while his dad was clocking out to take him to lunch, at McDonald's of course, And I asked, do you love McDonald's as much as your daddy? And he thought for a moment and said, I really love McDonald's, but I think I like my daddy better. (laughs) After many years of Bible study and of being a father, I think I now understand why there is such a connection in Scripture between fatherhood and faith. For example, in that great old... uh, Wonderful parable found in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. It's no accident that, that God in that story is portrayed as a loving and anxious and forgiving father. And in the push in our world to become a genderless society, some of us are still going to insist on calling God father and thinking of ourselves as his children for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, because it's biblical and because it's right to do so. Jesus taught us to pray our Father who art in heaven. And on this Father's Day, I want us to think for a few minutes about this awesome responsibility that we as fathers have. And although it's easy, I know for preachers, and I've, I've had this pointed out to me a number of times, I know it's, it's easy to stand up on Father's Day and, and for on, on Mother's Day at least for us to honor mothers in, in what we talk about and then to criticize fathers on Father's Day. And it is not my intention to do that this morning. But, but I'm, I'm going to try to honor fathers, but I also want to do that in a way that, that heightens our awareness of how important it is to be a godly father and to assume the spiritual leadership in our homes just as God has directed to do so in his words. And I'm going to do that in, uh, in a few parts, and I'll try to make those obvious as we, as we go along. First of all, I want to begin with some general observations about fathers. And I don't know where all of these came from, but I just found them in my file marked fatherhood. And some of them certainly are worth sharing. And so here goes. I don't know. This is writ- written uh, by Dave Esto. He says, Dad was honest, and I mean Abe Lincoln honest. I love that. Rebecca Blocker said, Dad's been gone three years now, but st- I still think of him every day. The way that he would laugh at a joke so hard that he'd start to cry, or how that when we were little he'd get up in the morning and come down for breakfast and remind us to say good morning to Mr. Son. All these years later, I finally realized that he was the son. My father embodied a remark by Winston Churchill. This write is written by Christine Smith. And the quote goes like this, I make a, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give away. Mike Schachter has written, sometimes I find myself offering this prayer. Please don't let me give up on my son, just as my father did not give up on me. Don Smith writes, a couple of years ago, I called to congratulate my parents on their 53rd wedding anniversary, and I complimented them on how much their marriage had meant to us as their children, and what a tremendous example that was. And as I was shedding a tear, Dad said, that's a load of baloney. The deal between your mother and me was that whoever left first had to take all eight of you kids. <laughs> that puts things in perspective. Glenda Boyd said, I was my father's princess. Growing up in a rural area of the Deep South could have been a harsh experience for a little black girl. But I was insulated by his love and tenderness. Burton Yellowwick has written, I grew, up, I grew in stature simply by standing near my dad. I think many of us could echo that sentiment. My dad always taught us that nobody is better than you are, and that you aren't any better than anyone else. Michael Gallo writes, Brad Kendall says at my father's funeral, the minister said Jack Kendall did not wear his heart on his sleeve simply because his sleeve was not big enough. Here's a good one to end with. This was submitted by Michael Caruso. He said, my father cut hair six days a week for 45 years. That's all he ever did. That's all he ever knew. He provided for my mom, my three brothers, and me by saying, how short do you want it? I love that. The second admonition that I want to share with you this morning is something that I think all of us, not just fathers, ought to take very seriously. And that is that we need to watch out because our words mean so very much. One of the things I've learned from, from studying scripture and from, from my experience as a dad is that the words of a father carry a tremendous amount of meaning. Whether we intend for them to to, to or not, they still do. They, they have a tremendous impact upon our family. And what we say and how we say it speaks volumes about what's in our hearts. So let's always be aware of how important it is to to build up and to not tear down and destroy the spirit of our children. Now I'm going to get personal for a moment and say that Mia has a much more natural ability to be nurturing than I do. I understand that and I'm willing to admit that in public. I, I can be nurturing but the thing is it just comes more naturally for her. Now, when any one of our kids, when they were small, you know, scraped a, a knee and came running uh, and, and crying, I, I'm the one who said, it's not that bad, and I, I told you not to climb on that, you know, kind of thing. So, so nurturing doesn't come as naturally to me, but disciplining does. And fathers can, I think, sometimes get the kids to behave quicker with a look than, than moms can with 10 minutes of words. So I'm just saying that there's a balance there, and, and, and God intended for both to be in play in our families. So discipline and correction come more naturally, I think, for men. But don't misunderstand. Rules need to be enforced. There's a place for that. Children need to be corrected. And if you don't believe that, reread the Proverbs and see how many times that particular topic is brought up. But they also need to hear words of praise and approval. And not just from their dads. Or they grow up wondering if we ever made them proud. I really think that that was at least a part of what Paul meant in our text that Richard read a moment ago. Look again at Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. The King James says, other translations actually said, do not provoke them to discouragement. But bring them up into in the training and the admonition of the Lord. I know that was true in, in my own relationship with my father. Long before I was ever interested in God's approval, I spent the early years of my life with one goal in mind, and that was making my dad proud of me. And I learned the most about my Heavenly Father, I think, the day I became a father and I caught a glimpse of the divine. I wanted to be loved by my own father and to make him proud of me, and and I really think that's a part of the dynamic that's at play here in our relationship to our Heavenly Father. That's exactly what God wants. He wants us to respect him and to appreciate him and to love him and to obey him, but to do it because of, of our love and not just because we have to. And that's why I think in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, that John wrote by inspiration what he wrote in that passage when he says, There is no fear in love because perfect or full-grown love casts out fear. I'm just saying, as I've said many times from this pulpit, that there ought to come a time in our lives when when we're no longer concerned only about breaking our father's house rules and, and suffering the consequences for that. We ought to be more concerned about whether or not we've broken our father's heart. So that love has replaced fear, just as John said. So one of the things I want to communicate this morning is that being the enforcer is not the only role of a father. And if we think that, I hope that we'll get that out of our heads. By the way, wise mothers will not say to your children, wait till your father gets home. You need to share in that responsibility to discipline. Otherwise, the children are not looking forward to dad coming home because he's the terminator. But fathers also need to make sure that we affirm and encourage our children and to tell them how proud and how happy we are with them. Now, I've read all kinds of statistics about that subject in terms of encouragement and, and uh, negative statements versus positive statements. And some psychologists will tell us that it takes seven or eight positive statements to offset one critical or negative statement. And then I've read other sources that, that it takes as many as 15 positive comments to counteract one negative comment. But whatever the right ratio is, I don't know, but whatever it is, our children, I know, need to hear us tell them that we, that we love them and how proud we are of them and how much they mean to us a whole lot more than they need to hear how that they have disappointed us and how that they have failed to live up to our expectations. I think that just makes good sense, don't you? Even if it weren't in the good book, that just is good sense. You know, it's, be, it's fairly easy to be overly critical of our maid or our children. But I tell you what, it's almost impossible to affirm and to encourage our families too much. And that just means that we notice what's good and what's praiseworthy and we say something about it. That is, we speak words of approval and affirmation and we do that on a regular basis. It means that we brag on our spouse and on our kids and and about the good and the positive things that they do. And we let them know that we're proud of them, that they've blessed our lives. We want them to know that. And they need to hear it from our lips. I mean, even God did that. Remember in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, the Bible says that when Jesus was baptized, that God himself spoke from heaven. And here's what he said. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Think about those words. Aren't there a lot of love-starved children out in the world right now who are, are desperate to hear those very words? I love you and I am well pleased with you. So, fathers, we need to make sure that we discipline and we correct our children, and we need to help them to set high goals and to go for their dreams. And we need to help our kids believe that they can accomplish good and great things. And we need to help our kids to aim for their best and not settle for mediocrity. And we need to constantly tell them that God loves them and that he has a special plan for their lives. And I think that will be a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. Fathers need to speak words and to set the example that will help their children love the Lord and to love his church because of the consistency that they have seen in their own homes and that will help their children want to go to heaven and to be pleasing to their earthly father, but more importantly, to be pleasing to their heavenly father. And if we can make that transition, that translation from, from the family relationship and the father relationship here on earth, I think it will be a lot easier for us to understand that we serve a loving and tender and gracious God who at the same time means exactly what he says about sin. The best gift that a father can give to his kids is his time. That's the third point I want to make this morning. A man, I want to share this with you, and I'm reading it, so it's going to sound like I'm reading it, but I wanted to share it exactly the way it was written. A man came home from work late again. He was tired and irritated only to find his five-year-old son waiting for him at the door. "'Daddy, may I ask you a question?' "'Yeah, sure, what is it?' replied the exhausted father. "'Daddy, how much money do you make an hour?' "'That's none of your business. "'What makes you ask such a thing?' "'And the father said angrily. "'Well, I just wanted to know. "'Please tell me, how much do you make an hour?' "'Pleaded the little boy. "'Well, if you must know, I'll make $20 an hour.' "'And looking up, the boy said, "'Daddy, can I I borrow $9, please?' And the father was furious at that point. He said, if the only reason that you wanted to know how much money I make is so that you could, that you could get some, then you just march yourself straight to your room and you go to bed. And, and think about why you're being so selfish. I work long, hard hours every day, and I don't have time at the end of the day for these kinds of selfish games. The boy quietly went to his room and shut the door. And the father sat down and got even madder about his son's line of questioning. How dare he ask such a question, only to get some money? But then after an hour had passed, he calmed down, and he began to think that maybe he had been too hard on his son. Maybe there was something that he really needed to buy with those nine dollars. After all, he admitted he didn't ask for money often. And the father went to his son's room, and he opened the door. "'Are you asleep, son?' he asked. "'No, Daddy, I'm awake,' replied the boy. "'Well, I've been thinking maybe I was, I was too hard on you earlier.' It's been a long day, and I took my aggravations out on you, and I want you to know that I'm sorry, and, here, and here's the $9 you asked for. And the boy sat out straight, and he was beaming, and he said, oh, thank you, Daddy. And then reaching under his pillow, he pulled out some crumpled bills, and he counted the money, and then he looked up at his father. And the father asked, because of the mixed signals, he said, why did you want more money if you already had some? Because I didn't have enough, but now I do, the little boy replied. Daddy, I have $20 now, can I borrow and buy an hour of your time? Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, the only gift of value is a portion of thyself. I I hope we as, as fathers especially appreciate that. That time is the most valuable thing that we can give to our kids. And especially as they're growing up and sticking their feet under our table. As important as this principle is, if you, if you don't spend some time with, with your children when they're small and young, then are not going to spend any time with you once they're grown up. You remember the song by Harry Chapin entitled Cats in the Cradle? Some of you are old enough to remember that song. I, I didn't know until recently that, that his wife, Sandy Chapin, was the one who actually wrote the lyrics to that song. And she wrote them, my understanding is that because uh, she was pregnant with their first child, and as a warning, really, to her husband, Harry, who was building his musical career and spending a lot of time on the road, that uh, she wanted to make sure he understood how important it was that he be there and, and watch their boy grow up. Well, It's really a beautiful song, but it's also a, a penetrating kind of song. It's an indicting song you know, in a lot of ways about a father who did not spend time or, or even play ball with his, with his boy while he was a boy. He was still young. And when the man grew older and he longed to have his son now spend some time with him, the son followed in his father's footsteps. And he treated his father in his old age the way his father had treated him while he was still just a boy. Too many things took priority over spending time with those he loved. And in the refrain, there's a line that laments, my boy had grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. And that is why I am absolutely delighted with the many husbands and fathers in this church who do understand that your work and your job and your occupation, as important as they are, there's a responsibility that we have in that regard, but those things are not more important than than our families, that we can can work ourselves to death thinking that we're providing for our families, and we are. I'm just here to remind you that there's more to being a good dad than just bringing home a paycheck, is that we need to give ourselves to our families and, and, and I appreciate the, so many dads in this congregation who are committing to, to spending time and both quality and quantity with your family and especially with your children. I mean, I know that you make it a priority to create those opportunities for your family to be together and, and to make precious memories and to build strong relationships and to know that that is a priority to you. And, and, and I commend you for that because you need a pat on the back for doing that and for that recognition. I can remember, and this is more personal, I can remember our first child and how she wrapped her tiny little infant fist around my finger and how that later on in life, she wrapped me around her little finger and she did not let go. I remember getting a son. I remember bringing him home from from the adoption agency and thanking God Thank you, God, that you gave me a son. Daughters are are wonderful and nice, and they smell good most of the time. But I sure wanted at least one son. And I thank you for this gift. And I thank him still today. And then I remember going to the hospital after we adopted our first two, and for Mia to deliver Emily, and how that I was. I mean, so overwhelmed—that's the only word I can think of—overwhelmed by my wife's strength to endure what she went through in giving birth to that child. Nineteen and a half hours of hard labor. I remember leaning up against the wall and then sinking down against the wall on the floor in the labor delivery room. And when when the nurse brought Emily for me to hold, I was afraid, and I said, "No, she'll break." And the nurse said, "Stand up, you idiot." Apparently, Mia had told her my name. (laughs) And she reminded me that with all that that child has been through, she won't break. And she didn't. And after 35 years, sweet Emily has shown me over and over again that she is unbreakable. That it seemed only a few days later that those baby girls were not holding on to my finger anymore they were laying their hand on my arm as as i walked them down the aisle to be married that's a daunting task for a father to give away his daughters to hear about the guy who was so overwhelmed by the weight of that responsibility all he had was one line the preacher says who gives this bride in marriage he's supposed to say her mother and i but, I mean, he was so overwhelmed by emotion and the weight of that moment that he walked her down the aisle, and when the preacher said, who gives this bride in marriage, he said, my mother and I. <laughs> it is an awesome responsibility, and it is one that's laden with a great deal of emotion. But the point is, the years oh, the years have passed so quickly. And then it seems just a day later that my kids are making frequent appointments at the hospital themselves and asking me, do you want to hold your grandchild? And first one, then two, and now eight times I've been blessed with those precious grandchildren. And now it's not so much that they grab my grandpa finger and squeeze. They grab my grandpa heart and squeeze. Things haven't been easy or smooth for for us in life. Our family is just like yours. There's bumps in the road. But I'll tell you this, I wouldn't trade a moment of it for all the money in the world. And I wouldn't trade the time with my kids or my grandkids for all the gold in Fort Knox. One more story I want to share with you and then we're through. By the way, my notes indicate that I shared this with you back in 2013, so I hope eight years is not too soon. Some of you may remember this. The guy has written this, while waiting to pick up a friend at the airport in Portland, Oregon, I had one of those life-changing experiences that you hear other people talk about. You know, the kind that sneaks up on you unexpectedly. Well, this one occurred just a few feet away from me. Straining to locate my friend among the passengers deplaning through the jetway, I noticed a man coming toward me carrying only two light bags, and he stopped right next to me to greet his family. First, he motioned to his youngest son, maybe six years old, as he laid down his bags, and, and, and they gave each other a long and loving hug, and as they separated long enough to each look into each other's eyes, I heard the father say, it's good to see you, son, and I missed you so much. And his son smiled somewhat shyly, diverted his eyes, and, re, and replied softly, me too, dad. And then the man gazed up into the eyes of his oldest son, maybe nine or ten years old, and while cupping his son's face in his hands, he said, you're already quite the young man, and I love you very much, Zach. Zach. And they two hugged a long, tender hug, and his son said nothing because no reply was necessary. And while this was happening, a baby girl, perhaps one or one and a half, was squirming excitedly in her mother's arms, never once taking her little eyes off the wonderful sight of her returning father. And the man said, hi, baby girl. And he gently took the child from her mother. He quickly kissed her face all over and then held her close to his chest while rocking her from side to side. And the little girl instantly relaxed and simply laid her head on his shoulder and remained motionless for a moment of total and pure contentment. After several moments, he handed his daughter to his oldest son and declared, I have saved the best for last and proceeded to give his wife the longest, most passionate kiss I ever remember seeing in public. And he gazed into her eyes for several seconds, and then he silently mouthed, I love you so much. And they stared at each other's eyes, beaming big smiles at one another while holding both hands. And for an instant, they reminded me of newlyweds, but I knew by the ages of their kids that they could not be. And I puzzled about it for a moment. And then I realized how totally engrossed I was in this wonderful display of unconditional love not more than an arm's length away from me. And I suddenly felt uncomfortable, as if if I were invading something sacred. But I was amazed to hear my own voice nervously ask, Wow, how long have you two been married? Been married 14 years, he said, after dating for two. All said without ever breaking his gaze from his lovely wife's face. Well then, how long have you been away, I asked. And the man finally looked at me, still beaming his joyous smile, and said, two whole days. Two days. I was stunned. I was certain by the intensity of the greeting that I had just witnessed that he had been gone for several weeks, if not several months. And I know that my expression betrayed me. And so I said almost offhandedly hoping to end my intrusion with some semblance of grace and, and to get back to searching for my friend I said I hope my marriage is that passionate after 14 years and the man suddenly suddenly stopped smiling and he looked me straight in the eye and with an intensity that burned right into my soul he told me something that left me a different and changed person he told me don't hope friend decide and then he flashed me that wonderful smile again shook my hand and said god bless and with that he and his family turned and energetically strode away together and i was still watching that exceptional man and his special family walk out of sight when my friend came up to me and asked what you looking at and without hesitating and with a curious sense of certainty i replied my future that would be my advice for every father who's listening to this message today. If you want a happy home, if you want a solid marriage, a home where God lives, don't hope. You have to decide. And and remember, as the psalmist said, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. But if you haven't been this morning the kind of father that you hope to be, maybe this is the day that you'll stop hoping and, and, and you'll start deciding. To make the necessary steps to be the kind of husband and father and spiritual leader that, that you need to be in your home and that God certainly wants you to be. Spend generous amounts of time with your children. Try to affirm your family members more and be critical less. And don't just send them to church. Take them to church and be the godly example in your home that God wants all of us to be. And pray. Privately at times, but sometimes let your family actually hear you praying for them because it will make a difference in your life, and it'll make a difference in their lives as well and I just want you to know, as David leads us in this song of invitation in just a moment, that if we can pray for you today, if we can baptize you into Christ so that you can become a brand new creature we we, we want to do that, and it would be our privilege to pray for you if you if you need the prayers of this good church, just as The mountains surround Jerusalem. This body of people is willing to surround you this morning in prayer for whatever need that you might have while we stand, while we sing.